Welcome to another episode of Mike's Money Picks. Today on the podcast, we're going to be breaking down the Thursday, March 8th slate of college basketball DFS. We do have the pricing for the early slates on both DraftKings and FanDuel, so we're going to have our full preview for that early slate. Uh, the late slate is not quite put together just yet as I'm recording this, and I don't anticipate that we're going to get salaries anytime tonight from either site, DraftKings or FanDuel. Um, so I'm going to kind of do a little bit of a hop around game by game, kind of like how we did yesterday's episode. I think that worked pretty well uh, and just kind of highlight the key components of each game uh with, you know pricing unknown so you know i don't know what the guys are going to be priced but i'll just mention kind of the guys i'd like and don't like the usage trends the previous matchups stuff like that so um i think that's pretty much all i can do without having the salaries in hand now it is starting to get to be that time y'all it's thursday of commerce championship week we are three days away from selection sunday this is when all the marquee matchups start to take place all the big dogs start to come out at these tournaments um, well, almost all of them. Friday's the day that the Big Ten and the SEC really get cooking. But you're going to see a lot of good college basketball over the next few days. You're going to see a lot of moments that are going to be remembered forever. Now, I don't think this one will be remembered forever, but the final minute of the Wake Forest-Syracuse game today was a really good ending to a college basketball game. And, you know, I guess the sad ending to Jim Beheim's career, but on go the Deeks to the next round. So anyway, um, it's going to be some good college basketball, y'all. Time to lock in, time to do our best, and let's win some money on DraftKings and FanDuel this weekend. Now, one quick um, scheduling note. I will only be doing an episode for Friday. Uh, I will not be doing an episode for Saturday or Sunday. I will be out of town, uh, so I will not be able to record and release uh, the episodes for Saturday or Sunday. So you will be getting the Friday episode late Thursday night. If you want to be notified when that drops, make sure you hit that subscribe button. It really helps me out a lot. And while you're at it, please rate and review. I want to be the biggest college basketball daily fantasy podcast on earth, and I can only do that with y'all's help. All right, so enough with the introduction now, y'all. Let's start this Thursday off with the early slate. But first, a quick word from our friends at Anchor. <laughs> All right, so let's start our analysis of this early slate at the guard position. And at the top of the board is Wake Forest, Tyree Appleby. And I think he makes for a great play. You know, while we're here talking about Appleby, let's go ahead and talk about the Wake-Miami game as a whole. It is the second highest total on the slate at 157.5. Ken Palm has it as Miami 83 to 78. Their previous matchup was an absolute run and gun shootout. It was 96 to 87 in favor of Miami. Now in that game, Tyree Appleby only had 28.5 fantasy points, which I think you know might keep a little bit of ownership away. But he had an incredible 33% usage rate in that game. And call me crazy, but I think if Appleby gets that amount of usage rate again, he's going to score more fantasy points. Demari Monsanto Wake Forest is out for the season. And just in that game, he had a 28% usage rate. So you got to figure that a little bit of that 28% is going to be sprinkled around to, you know, different demon deacons here on this Thursday game. And, you know, if some of that falls into Tyree Appleby's lap, then that's only going to increase his incredible ceiling that he already has. Now, of the Miami guards that played in that game, in the previous matchup, Jordan Miller hit 3.5x value. Isaiah Wong and Wuga Poplar were both right around 4x value, but we got a Nigel Pack ceiling game in that one. He had 42.8 fantasy points, about 6x value for his salary, which is just insane. Um, but what's interesting is he actually didn't lead the team in usage rate. It was actually Isaiah Wong who had the 32% usage rate. So to kind of summarize, absolutely great game environment, especially if it gets into the 170s or 180s like it has the potential to. And 
I think Appleby's in play as one of the studs on this slate. I think that Wong, Miller, and Poplar and Pack are all in play as well. We got the ceiling game from Nigel Pack in the first matchup. I don't necessarily know if it will happen again, but it's definitely intriguing to go to. And I would say that if I'm if I'm playing Appleby, I'm probably going to play either Wong or Pack alongside him because I think those two are the real scorers that can push this game and push this tempo up even higher. Now, looking further down the board, we've got Jaime Jaquez. That was tough to say. Jaime Jaquez of UCLA, and he's yielded inconsistent results this season, and it's kind of encapsulated in his inconsistent results against Colorado. In the two games against the Buffaloes, he had 60 fancy points and 29 fancy points. Now, it is worth noting that UCLA's Jalen Clark is out for the season um, with an injury. Wish him a speedy recovery, uh, but statistically, he has a 21% usage rate, so that 21%'s got to go to somebody else, right? Now, Clark missed one game earlier this season against Bellarmine and in that game granted this is a game against Bellarmine it's not you know in the Pac-12 tournament Amari Bailey had a 27% usage rate and Dylan Andrews played 17 minutes in that game he makes for an interesting punt play if he is able to get a little bit of those Jalen Clark minutes so I expect Bailey and Andrews to be the beneficiaries in terms of the usage in the minutes but I still think you could see some of it go to Jaime Jaquez as well while we're on this game I also love Tiger Campbell of UCLA who's really started to kind of show his veteran presence in this offense and on this team with four straight games over 32 fantasy points to end the season. And on the Colorado side, we still got the injury to KJ Simpson. And today, these guys ended up being chalk and they ended up playing well. It was Julian Hammond and Ethan Wright. And tomorrow, I think they're going to be chalk again. I think it's a little bit tougher of a matchup, but I still think that both of them are in play. I think that Hammond gives you a little more of a ceiling, but I think that Wright, you know, with the price tag is still affordable and still gives you a really good chance at 4X value, even though the matchup against UCLA is very tough. Now, we also have to talk about the St. John's Marquette game because the next guy on the board is Tyler Kolick. So this St. John's Marquette game, has the only total on the slate that is higher than Wake Forest Miami. I'm not going to lie. I was kind of surprised to see one that was higher than Wake Miami, if I'm being 100% honest. So this one has a total of 161.5. Ken Palm has it as Marquette 85 to 76. Now, Marquette and St. John's have played twice this season, and in both of those games, Marquette scored 96 points. Yes, you heard me correctly. Marquette scored 96 points twice this season against St. John's. St. John's in those two games scored 94 and 85. So either way, you're looking at two games that one of them got to 190, the other one got to 180, and it's just, you know, I absolutely think this game environment is insane. Now, the crazy part is Tyler Kolick, who is the highest-priced player in this game, did not have a massive game in either one of them against St. John's. He had 42 in their most recent matchup, which is, you know, a little over 4X value. We'd absolutely be happy with 42 fancy points, right? And he had 28 in the first meeting. Now, to kind of whip around to the rest of the guards in this game, Cam Jones in those two meetings had 31 fancy points and 26 fancy points, which is not terrible. If he stays in the 7K range, that's absolutely a good point for him. Um, and then in the first game, it was Olivier Maxence Prosper and David Joplin who had the huge nights. And in the most recent game, it was Stevie Mitchell of Marquette who had the huge night. So you've kind of just seen balanced performance from the main guards, Kolek and Jones. And then one of the peripheral players, whether it's Prosper, Joplin, Mitchell, have a big night for Marquette to kind of even everything out. Now for St. John's, we're getting no Andre Curbelo in this one. And so I really like Dylan Adewusu. You know, we've Andre Curbelo has been kind of in and out of the lineup this season, and every time he's out, Adewusu seems to be the guy that 
you know, kind of takes over and has the increased minutes in production, right? He's currently looking at back-to-back games over 31 fantasy points where Curbelo has been out of the lineup. And given the game environment against Marquette, I absolutely think he has the opportunity to go back and do that again. All right, now, kind of getting out of the talking about the games, let's talk about Tennessee real quick. Because Tennessee's in a pretty good spot against Ole Miss. Ken Palm has them projected for 71 points in this game, which is not bad. Now, Zakai Ziegler is out for the season, unfortunately for them. And so what we got last time against Auburn was we got point guard Santiago Vescovi. And he had 34.3 fantasy points against Auburn. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Ole Miss is not as good of a defensive team as Auburn. They're currently playing without a head coach. Uh, And so I think that you could see another big day for Santiago Vescovi. Now, what's even more intriguing is in that game against Auburn, Vescovi put up 34 fantasy points with only a 21% usage rate. Actually, Triple J, Josiah Jordan-James, had a 26% usage rate, which is bigger than Vescovy. He just didn't do a whole lot with it. And then Tyreek Key, who remains at a very affordable price tag, had a 22% usage rate in that game. If those usage rates hold against a worse defensive team in Ole Miss, I think that Vescovy, Triple J, and Tyreek Key could all give you good value here in this game. All right, now, I'm going to kind of go down by price now. All right, so in the 7K range, I really like Tony Perkins of Iowa. He's been great this season when Iowa gets to 80. We talked about that stat on Sunday's episode. And the last time that Iowa played Ohio State, they got the 92 points, and Perkins had 33.5 fantasy points in that game. I really think this is another good opportunity for Perkins. We've seen the high ceiling with two performances over 49 fantasy points, and I absolutely think he has a great chance to get there again against Ohio State. Now, in the West Virginia-Kansas game, there are two guys that are in the 7K and 6K range that I think are kind of polar opposites. Dewan Harris, to me, is a great cash game play. He's a guy that he's not going to show up and drop 30 and give you this huge ceiling performance of 50 fantasy points. What he is is a guy who's going to play 35 minutes, he's going to get a lot of peripheral stats, and he's probably going to score about 10 to 12 points as well. And I think you know, his game log represents that he's a really solid high floor cash game play. Kedrian Johnson of West Virginia is the GPP play. He is a very streaky shooter and he can get you a lot of steals and can get you a lot of assists when everything's going right for West Virginia. And so I think that he does give you a legitimately high ceiling as a GPP play for the West Virginia Mountaineers. Now, in the 6K range, Riley Kugel continues to see great usage for Florida as their main offensive producer without Colin Castleton in the lineup. Castleton actually has a Q tag next to his name for this one, but I'm going to be totally honest. I would be absolutely shocked if he plays. Just I haven't seen anything that indicates he's any closer to playing than he was a month ago. So um, definitely something to monitor, but I don't expect him to play. So I think you can Expect to see the trends that you've seen with this Florida rotation continue, and it's been Riley Kugel being the main offensive producer. Kyle Lofton and Will Richard had big games last time out, but it wasn't really because of increased usage. It was just because of better shooting and more peripheral stats. I still trust Kugel to get you a consistent, solid production with Castleton out of the lineup. Now, heading down to the 5K range, Bruce Thornton of Ohio State has kept coming through for Ohio State, and I'm going to keep mentioning him because, like I said, the point guard spot for this Ohio State team is a very valuable position. He had 25 fantasy points against Wisconsin, which is like one of the worst tempo matchups ever, so I absolutely think he can smash that against an Iowa team that's going to push the tempo and is not the best defensive team. Now, I've mentioned a lot of guys down here for value plays already, um, but in the 4K range of the guys I haven't mentioned, I do like James White of Ole Miss as a high floor play. He's been over 16 fantasy points in five straight games, which a total that we'd absolutely be okay with with anybody in the 4K range. 
All right, y'all, that does it for our analysis of the guard position for the early slate. So let's go ahead and take a quick breather, and then let's break down the big fellas. All right, so I got to be honest, y'all. Looking at the forward position for this one and looking at the guard position right next to it, I really think that this is a day where I'm going to end up going five guards and three forwards on this early slate. Just there's so much value to be had at this guard position. Uh, you, you think about the Colorado guys, the Tennessee guys, the great game environments with Wake in Miami and St. John's Marquette. There's just so many guys that I think you can get to at that guard position. And there's still guys that I want to pay for up top. So there's really a situation where I think I'm probably going to really lean on that guard position for the values and even for the guys up top and probably play five guards and three forwards. Now, what I do think, though, is I think that there's a lot of forwards that have upside. And you've got to, if you're going to play one of these high-priced forwards, they have to have legitimate 5X upside. And to, for me to you know, want to play them over any of those guards that I just mentioned, they got to have upside. And so let's talk about them. Let's talk about their upside. Chris Murray has two games over 5X value in the last month, and he had 3.5X value against Ohio State the last time these two teams played. Granted, no Zed key in this game for Ohio State, so the interior defense is not going to be as stout as it used to be. And so I think this could be a spot for Chris Murray, but I really wish the price tag was about $500 cheaper and he was below some of these guys instead of sitting at the top. Jalen Wilson of Kansas has only been over 4X value three times in his last 12 games. None of those have been over 5X value, and he got 21.5 fantasy points against West Virginia last time. He's just not the same consistent producer as an offensive player that we saw in December and January. It's a pass for me on Jalen Wilson here on this slate. Now, keep in mind, I say this a lot with DFS. When somebody is looked at as a bad play, that makes them a legitimate option in GPPs because they're going to be low owned and because he's going to have a chance to give you that leverage on the field, right? But I'm just not seeing it. And so I will probably be fading Jalen Wilson. Um, and if you do play him, it would be as a low owned GPP play, maybe even as a game stack in that West Virginia, Kansas game. Joel Soriano of St. John's has had two decent lines against Marquette this season. He's averaging 18 points and 12 boards against them. We talked about how the Marquette interior defense can be lacking because Oso Igadaro is really all they got, and he does not want to foul. You can see how he plays defense. He does not want to get in foul trouble. And so I definitely think this could be a really good spot for Joel Soriano, especially if you're stacking it with one of the supporting St. John's guards. Um, like a Dylan Adewusu or like a Posh Alexander, um, or even some Marquette guys on the other side as well. Michigan's Hunter Dickinson has absolutely been really good for them. He's basically single-handedly kept their NCAA tournament hopes alive. He has three straight games over 48 fantasy points coming into the conference tournament. However, it's worth noting that the game right before that streak started was 27.8 fantasy points against Rutgers. You know, Rutgers is not the same team defensive team uh, without Mawat Mag in the lineup, but they still have Charles Omaruyi down low, and he's still a tough matchup, and I still doubt Dickinson's upside um, going up against Omaruyi. Now, Kyle Filipowski of Duke is a guy that, I got to be honest, I haven't played a whole lot this season. I've, I've talked about him, I've hyped him up, but he hasn't actually found his way into a whole lot of my lineups just because Duke plays at a slow tempo, and there's so much talented guys on this team that I, I generally fail to see the upside in Filipowski, but when you look at his game log, he's shown some serious upside. He's had four games over 5X value this calendar year, and one of those was a 53.8 fantasy point performance against Pitt. If you watch the Pitt-Georgia Tech game to get today, then 
I'm like super convinced that Pitt can be had by centers because Javon Franklin was just getting every board in the second half of that game. And I think Filipowski could do the same. And so I, I think there is a lot of upside with Filipowski. I think he will be one of the lower owned guys of this group because like I mentioned earlier, Duke's got a lot of talent. They play a lot of guys with a lot of varying usage rates and you know, it's just, he's not the most consistent performer. So I think he'll go a little bit on her own, but he does give you a lot of upside. Now we've talked about the stackability of this Wake Forest and Miami game, but I'm not really sold on it for Norchad Omir. We've seen Wake be so vulnerable to bigs inside, but Omir only had 31 fantasy points against Wake the last time these two teams played. That kind of concerns me. I think that the matchup and really the fact that he plays so many minutes and he's their only big, there's a big-time opportunity. But he had that same opportunity last time they played and only had 31 fantasy points. So I think he's definitely in play, but it's hard to get super excited about him. I was really looking at this late, expecting to see like a 40-bomb or a 50-bomb against Wake, and it was only 31, and that was kind of surprising. So he's definitely in play, but I wish he did do better against Wake the last time they played. Tolu Smith of Mississippi State is a guy that I played a lot lately. I did have him in my lineup when he had a 5X value game against Vanderbilt. That Vanderbilt team was without Liam Robbins to defend down low. Well, guess what? Florida's without Colin Castleton to defend down low, and they've been very susceptible in the interior without Castleton. Could be another smash spot for Tolu Smith. Now, the 6K range at the forward position has a lot of guys worth considering. And if you're really going with more of a balanced build and a lot of those guards, then the 6K range might be kind of where you could live for this forward position because I think there's a lot of guys, right? So starting off with Miles Burns of Mississippi, he's had back-to-back 5X value games. And what's intriguing is he hasn't done it with like a consistent usage rate either. He had 22% and 14% usage in those two games. If you can get to 5X value, at only 14% usage. That's kind of impressive because I think there's two arguments to be made. The, the first argument is that, you know, he has that low of usage. It's probably not sustainable. But the second argument is, well, if he did it with that low usage, then that probably means that he's doing a lot in the peripheral stats department. And it also probably means that if he gets more usage, he could get even more fantasy points. So I see the argument both ways on Miles Burns, but I definitely think that he's worth considering. Now, Trey Mitchell is a guy that intrigues me because going back to his time at Texas, he kind of owns Kansas. Like his best game as a Texas Longhorn before he just kind of left for no apparent reason um, was against Kansas. He played very well in, you know, a big time game for Texas against Kansas. And then he played well for West Virginia against Kansas. He's had two 5X games in his last four games for West Virginia, one of which was against Kansas. And so I think that this is a really good spot for Trey Mitchell. I think his combination of length and athleticism can really give the Kansas front court trouble. Bobby Clintman of Wake Forest, though, is probably my favorite play in the 6K range. So we got a Bobby Clintman ceiling game today against Syracuse. Um, he was shooting a lot of shots, and he's a really tall guy shooting a lot of shots. With Demari Monsanto out, he's been seeing increased minutes and increased usage. He's played 38 minutes in, or 31 minutes, excuse me, in every game since Monsanto has been hurt. And he's playing it like the three. For a guy his size is impressive. And Miami plays nobody who's 6'10". So uh, I definitely think this could be a really good spot for Bobby Clintman. And it's backed up by the fact that the last time Wake and Miami played, he played 28 minutes and had 26 fantasy points. So if he's able to get to 30 minutes with increased usage and just be a tough matchup for Miami, I could see this being a ceiling game for Bobby Clintman. 
Now, in the 5K range, I do think there are some guys on Tennessee that are worth a look. Jonas Adu and Julian Phillips, to me, provide some upside. Adu had 13 boards against Ole Miss in their first meeting. Phillips had a great usage rate without Zakai Ziegler. It was about 26%. And so you're looking at if he gets that usage rate again against a worse defensive team, it could be a really good spot for Julian Phillips. These Tennessee guys, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens in this Ole Miss game. I think there is a little bit of guesstimating still with how everything's going to play out without Ziegler. But if we can see how this one goes, we can start really to get dialed in on how this Tennessee team is going to operate and really identify some value going forward for this weekend and for next weekend in the NCAA tournament. Now, if you're looking for a high upside play in the 4K range, it's Christian McCaffrey. Uh, he's had some absolute ceiling games. He's also put up some stinkers as well. But he had 19 fantasy points in 21 minutes against Ohio State the last time these two teams played. Definitely worth a look in GPP formats, in my opinion. Now in the 3K range, I'm, go I'm willing to go back to Omar Stanley of St. John's. I mentioned him on the podcast here last night for the Wednesday games, and he played 30 minutes in today's game, and he had 14 fantasy points. They continue to put him in the starting lineup, and he continues to just kind of give a solid return, right? Like 14 fantasy points at his salary is pretty much four times value. I'm not opposed to that. And also, last one in the 3K range, I think this guy's going to be popular. It's Toby Awaka of Tennessee. He's had two good performances recently with 17 and 18 fantasy points, but I don't necessarily think that one's sustainable. He doesn't play a lot of minutes or have a ton of usage offensively. The fantasy points he gets are like effort points by going and getting boards, getting putbacks, and um, if he played more minutes, I think he would have a lot higher ceiling, but he just doesn't to me in his current role. He, to me, he's kind of like... He's like Tennessee's version of Brock Cunningham for Texas, except he's bigger. He's a guy that plays because he plays super hard, plays good defense, gets boards, gets loose balls, like does all the little things, right? But that's not going to lead to a successful fantasy output unless he's playing like upwards of 25 to 30 minutes. And I just don't see that with where this Tennessee team is with everybody healthy in the front court. All right, so that does it for the early slate, y'all. So let's take another quick breather and then let's break down this night slate that we don't have the salaries yet for. Quick reminder, if you want to see how I take all this information and put it into my builds that I actually play, head on over to the Patreon, patreon.com slash Mike's Money Picks. Um, from there, you can get my DFS picks for college basketball, golf, and any other sport that is going on that I play DFS for. Those are currently the main two going on though. All right, anyway, let's hop into this night slate. So like I said, I'm going to kind of hop around game by game, um, talk about the trends, um, you know, the totals, some players that you need to look out for, um, salary unknown, and I'm going to kind of guess on some of the salaries as well. Um, so we'll see how this goes. I think it went pretty well with yesterday. I think we got most of the games right that were featured, um, and some of the analysis on the players went pretty well. So let's see how it goes. Anyway, first game up. The reason that I think this slate starts at 630 is to capture the Penn State versus Illinois game. Uh, Ken Palm has it as Illinois 73 to 72. Now in the last time these two teams played, Jalen Pickett absolutely went off. He had 41, 8, and 2 in a 93 to 81 Penn State win. I think he has the potential to do that again. He did have a 36% usage rate in that game, which is not unusual for Pickett. But what is unusual for Pickett is that he hasn't been over 25% usage in his last four. That may be a cause of concern to some, but I think it's kind of just been how teams have depended him and kind of the matchup dependency of it. So I could definitely see Pickett getting back to that ceiling game. And if he is around 10K even, I think he's going to be worth it to play. 
Now, Cameron Winter of Penn State is also worth mentioning. He's just been solid over this last two weeks of the season. Um, that Really, that streak started after the Illinois game. I don't know what precipitated it necessarily, but his hot streak started after the Illinois game. He did not play much or did not do a whole lot in that game, but I think he's in a different role now than he was. If he continues to be in the upper four to low 5K ranges, I think he's still worth it as a value play. Now, on the Illinois side of things, you got to check the status of Jaden Epps. Um, last I heard, he was still in concussion protocol, but that situation hasn't really been reported on recently. Um, so definitely look into that. If he's out, expect a continued bump for RJ Melendez and a continued bump for Terrence Shannon in terms of usage. Shannon's going to be out there on the floor no matter if Epps is healthy or not, but Shannon is going to see more usage if Jaden Epps is out. Ty Rogers is also, also worth mentioning. He had 11 points, 8 boards, and 3 assists in the previous meeting. He's been a little bit inconsistent lately, but he does get that dual eligibility. And if he's sitting there in the low 4K range, I will seriously consider him as a value play. All right, now let's talk about UNC versus UVA. The game that UNC has to have if they want to return to the NCAA tournament. Ken Palm has it as UVA 67 to 66. So Armando Baycott tonight against Boston College rolled his ankle again, which seems like happens at least twice a month for Armando Baycott. I kind of feel bad for the guy at this point. Just, just got a bum ankle. Now, I'm probably fading him in this one because of that ankle and because of the tough matchup against the front court of Virginia. Virginia is going to slow the game down. They're a very good rebounding team, and they just don't really yield a whole lot of points inside with that patented Tony Bennett pack line defense, right? So I really think that this is not a good spot for Baycott. He's probably just a straight up fade for me. Now, I think Pete Nance is actually in a really good spot, especially if Baycott isn't 100%. He had a huge game against Virginia the last time these two teams played, 38.5 fantasy points in that big time UNC win. Now, the last thing worth mentioning on the UNC side is kind of in winter go home games, I wish I had enough stats to back this up, but in winner go home games, Caleb Love seems to be his most Caleb Love. And like I said, I don't that's hard to quantify. But he's a guy that he's um he's got a lot of J.R. Smith energy where he's just got a lot of confidence, uh, a lot of I got this guys, I'm gonna take this guy one-on-one and go score. And he ends up with a lot of shots, and if enough of them go in, he's going to give you a big, big fantasy performance. So I think that Caleb Love is going to make for a really interesting GPP play. Virginia is a tough matchup, but I think he's going to get a lot of shots for this Carolina team. It's just what he does when they play in must-win games. Now, on the Virginia side of things, I really want to look at Jaden Garner. I really hope he's under 7K. Um, he's definitely worth a look if he's under 7K. He's had double-digit shots in four straight games, and he played really well against Carolina the last time. He had 19 points and 12 boards. Definitely a guy that I want to consider. Now, the next game is Arkansas versus Auburn. Ken Palm has this one as Arkansas 72 to 71. Now, the previous matchup was an Auburn win 72 to 59, but the big difference, Arkansas didn't have Nick Smith Jr., and Nick Smith Jr. has been a high-usage player for the Razorbacks. I would like to see him below 7K. If he's under 7K, kind of the same deal with Jaden Garner. In fact, if he's sitting around like 6,500, which is what I think he was for the Kentucky game, he's probably going to be a lineup lock for me. But anyway, Nick Smith Jr., when he's been healthy, he's averaging a 27.6 usage rate when he's been playing, which is crazy for a guy that you can get at that price tag, right? Now, he's been over 20% in every game that he's played. So you're getting a consistent usage rate out of Nick Smith Jr. It's not just a one-time thing. It's consistently good. 
Now, in that previous matchup that Auburn won, Janai Broom had a double-double, but the real star of the day was Wendell Green, who had 19 points, three boards, five assists, and three steals. Really filled up the stat sheet. Wendell Green Jr., when he gets steals, gets you a lot of fancy points. And so I think this could be another opportunity for him to do that with that inexperienced um, Arkansas backcourt. Anthony Black had a great statistical game in this one as well, but he's not had the same usage rate since Nick Smith Jr. returned. So I'm probably going to be a little bit leery to go back to him. This is not a bad game to stack, but I don't know. If it if it's an Auburn win, it's probably going to be slower. If it's an Arkansas win, it's probably going to be faster. The Mitchell Twins continue to confuse me. The other players in Arkansas's rotation that aren't named Black or Smith still confuse me also. So I'm probably going to be out on a lot of guys in this game, even though it would be a really interesting GPP stack if you went with it. DePaul versus Xavier is the next game up. Ken Palm has it as Xavier 86 to 73. This is a game worth stacking, in my opinion. The previous matchup was 82 to 68 Xavier. And as we've seen Xavier go along the rest of the season, Zach Fremantle is officially done for the rest of the season. So you're going to get Jerome Hunter locked into that four spot pretty much. Um, I'm sorry, Jerome Hunter. I think I said Jerome Hunter. Anyway, um, it's Jerome Hunter that's going to be playing the four for Xavier, right? And as we've seen the season go on, We've seen Suli Boom and Colby Jones increase in usage rate as we get closer and closer to March. I think that trend's going to continue. I think that we're going to see a lot of usage for Suli Boom against a DePaul team that gives up a lot to point guards. See the performance of Tyler Kolek against them if you need to see more evidence. And so I think that this could be a really good spot for both of them. For DePaul, Nick Ongenda has been a real difference maker since he's been active. He only played 21 minutes last time against Xavier and still managed for 28 fantasy points. If he's right around that 8K mark, he's definitely worth a look yet again. Villanova and Creighton is the next game up. Ken Palm has it as Creighton 71 to 66. Villanova surprisingly beat Creighton 79 to 67 in their last meeting. Creighton is always an interesting DFS team to me because they only play five guys for all intents and purposes. And so what you're looking at is like just what's their cost, right? Like if they come in underpriced, you're going to get a guy who you know is going to play dang near 40 minutes and is going to be out there with an opportunity to score fantasy points, right? But if they come in a little too expensive, which they have a lot of times this season, then they just end up being full fades for me. And so guys like Baylor Shireman, Ryan Kalkbrenner, Ryan Nemhard, like when they come in in a price dip, that's when I want to buy them because they're still going to play the same amount. They're still going to see a similar amount of usage. They're just at a lower price than they were yesterday. Like, like nothing's changed about their role. They're just at a lower price. So I'll be interested to see what they roll in at in terms of their salary. Now for Villanova, Eric Dixon had the big game against Creighton last time. He had 31 points. Now the outlier part of this performance though, is he was six for eight from three, which is unusual for him. He doesn't take a lot of threes. I did not get to watch this game, but just by looking at everything statistically, it kind of seems like Ryan Kalkbrenner just didn't go out and guard him at the three-point line, just kind of let him have it in, in a way of speaking. And so I, I don't necessarily see them doing that again. So it's probably going to be a new offensive game plan for Villanova. Um, I definitely think Dixon will still give you upside in case Villanova or in case Creighton does employ that same defensive strategy. But I think there's definitely other places you can go because I do think he's going to come in a little too expensive. TCU versus Kansas State is the next game up. Ken Palm has this one as Kansas State. Oh, hold on, lost my spot. Kansas State, 74 to 73. 
Marquise Noel has not had huge games against TCU this season, but of their two stars between him and Keontae Johnson, Keontae Johnson has just been more productive and better against TCU. I think the matchup on the interior is a little bit bigger for Johnson or a little bit better for Johnson as well with Eddie Lampkin Jr. out of the lineup. I definitely want to see the price on Xavier Cork of TCU. If Cork is coming in at about the 4K range, I think he's going to be worth a look. Um, and I mentioned this last week on the podcast. I keep waiting for the big Mike Miles game. He is back. He is healthy. He's 100%. Teams have really gone out of their way to kind of make him miserable in the past two weeks, though. Um, like, I'm talking like face guarding, like just being super physical on the ball, like, you know, either hedging or trapping ball screens or even icing ball screens. Like, teams are not letting Mike Miles get off, right? And I think that the big game is coming at some point, probably this weekend. But I don't know if it's going to be this one against Kansas State. The tempo matchup is a good one, um, but I just I don't know. I want to see I want to see some breadcrumbs that I can kind of pick up on before um, we get the Mike Miles game. Now, if you do want to be early to the party with Mike Miles, go ahead and play him in this one. Why not? Like like I said, it's a good tempo matchup, high scoring game. Um, no Eddie Lampkin. Like it could be a good spot for Mike Miles. Now, last one we got to talk about is NC State at Clemson. We just saw this matchup, actually. Clemson beat the living crap out of NC State on their senior night. Uh, and so NC State's got revenge on the mind. And, y'all, for NC State, it revolves around the guards, Joyner and Terquavian Smith. They were on fire tonight against Virginia Tech. And if they are on fire again, it's going to be a long night for Clemson. Um, I have no problem going to either of them. Uh, for Clemson, Hunter Tyson and P.J. Hall kind of had their way inside a little bit. Um, and then you had um, some of the supporting cast for Clemson really step up in that last game as well. Um, so I'm probably more inclined to just see if I can fit in one of those two NC State guards into my lineup um, and might not play a whole lot else from this game after that. Uh, then you got Texas-Oklahoma State which is not as intriguing to me because Oklahoma State is just going to make the game ugly. Um, Bryce Thompson continuing to see great usage, and Caleb Boone has kind of owned Texas in two matchups this year. We'll see if Texas is able to adjust, but he is the guy who, based on performance, is a guy to target. And for Texas, those guards, you got Carr, you got Rice, you got Hunter, um, all of them are playable. None of them have really had a huge ceiling game lately. Um, I keep waiting on the big Tyrese Hunter game, kind of like with the Mike Miles game. Uh, but Serge Barry Rice has been a really consistent producer. I believe last time he was about at an even 6K. If he stays about at that, I think he's a guy that you really should consider putting into your lineups. All right, so that does it for the night slate, guys. Hopefully I was able to cover all the games. Like I said, um, it's hard to project what FanDuel is going to use, in, or DraftKings and FanDuel, I should say, are going to use and not use for these night slates when you know we don't even have the full brackets yet, I guess. Um, like I was still waiting on some games to finish up when I started recording tonight. So um, we'll see how it goes. Hopefully that was able to give you guys some good analysis for the night slate, some names to keep in mind, um, some prices to look out for and some games that you might want to look into stacking. So, um, I do think that was a productive section of the podcast. Anyway, we will be back for the Friday games recording late tomorrow night. Subscribe to the podcast if you want to be notified. Um, best of luck to everybody in all their DFS endeavors. Please rate, subscribe, and review. It really helps me out a lot. Other than that, thank you guys for listening, and I will see you all next time.